As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music and lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. The Volume. This is Prime Cuts, the best of the Colin Coward podcast. Hell of a week. John Middlecoff, former pro scout, and I discuss Russell Wilson's image problem, and John gives us his surprise NFL bounce back team. Former Bears coach Dave Wonstadt tells me why he's not exactly bullish on this year's Bears team. And one of the smart voices on New York sports, columnist Ian O'Connor, on Aaron Rodgers, Saquon Barkley, and the Mets meltdown. But first, my top takes of the week. You know, I think the Dame drama in Portland's interesting. There, I think there's this sense from a lot of fans. And I always try to put myself in the position of the player. What would I think if I was the player? What would I think if I was the coach or the GM? And there's this sense by, um, I think, a lot of fans that you're selfish if you leave a team like Dame leaving Portland just to go be on a better team. And I think the opposite's true. If you're just going to stay in any franchise that's not remotely viable to win a championship, then you're basically doing it for the Benjamins. You're just doing it for money. What, what's the value of that? Like, that's just, that's totally about self. But if you go to another team, let's say Dame goes to Milwaukee, that's not selfish. He'd be the second best player on a team. That's giving. Uh, it'd be the first time the ball wouldn't go through him. That's not selfish. That's giving. He wouldn't be the face of a franchise. That's not selfish. That's giving. That's relinquishing. That's passing a baton to somebody else. That's the opposite of selfish. You know, when Bradley Beal for years stayed in Washington, that was all about comfort, making good money, and being the man. And Bradley Beal finally went to management and said, I want to go win some games. I want to go somewhere like Phoenix. Well, when Bradley Beal goes to Phoenix, he's not going to get the most shots. Booker will. Durant may get second most. He's the third best player on a team. That's the opposite of selfish. He is giving up shots, giving up where he lives, giving up comfort, giving up friends. So I, I just, I don't buy into this. And, and I think it's good for the league long term if most of your stars stay. But one of the things I've always appreciated about LeBron James is his ability to acclimate to new teammates, new coaches, new cultures, and new cities. It's hard. He didn't win first year at a high school in Cleveland. He didn't win first year in Miami. He didn't win first year back at Cleveland. He didn't win first year in Los Angeles. LeBron James was the best player in the league in all of those and arguably the best player ever. Why? Because moving's hard. Hell, this studio I'm in, I just sold this house. I will have to move 
it's a pain in the ass. And that's just down the block. <laughs> Can you imagine moving your family into a new city? Well, he's rich. Rich or not, moving's difficult. It's discomfort. It's new this, new that. So you know, when I look at Dame, do you just want to sit in Portland and collect checks and be comfortable and be the man and get what you want? It's much harder. You say, oh, you go to Miami, greater expectations. You won't get every big shot. You may not be the most popular player in town. Jimmy Butler is. Bam's got loyalists. The franchise, Riley, Spolstra, you're the new guy in town. If he goes to Milwaukee and Giannis, they've already got a ring before you. How much credit will you get for the second ring? So I, 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 I look at loyalty as a two-way street. You know, Portland uh, is a market that geographically pinned up in the Pacific Northwest, not a huge free agent hub. I mean, they've never had an NBA All-Star game because they don't have enough hotel rooms. Now, I think they're putting in, a, I believe, a Ritz-Carlton. So they'll finally be able to get like a, you know, an NBA All-Star game. But for years, they've never had one. They're the oldest franchise in the league without ever having hosted an NBA All-Star game. It's a, it's a small town and Dame's the biggest star in it. So I don't think it's disloyal at all. I think you have to give a lot to take the risk of pressure. I mean, going to Miami is going to be an incredibly pressurized situation. Riley's an icon. Spolstra's coach of the year. Bam, Butler just got to the finals with undrafted guys. Dame goes to Miami and they don't get back to the finals. Who do you think's taking the heat? It's not Bam. <laughs> it's not Spo. It's not Butler. It's Dame. There is a risk involved. The avalanche comes down the hill. It's going to land on Dame. These guys got to the finals as an eight seed. So uh, the idea of just joining super teams, you do understand that if you take out LeBron James, the whole mobility thing in the league doesn't work as well as you think. Kevin Durant joined a team that already won a title, but then he goes to Brooklyn, it implodes. Phoenix may implode. It's okay. If you want to just play for the checks, the comfort, the stardom, the fame, stay in your city forever. But I applaud Bradley Beal for what he did. And I would applaud Dame for going on a potential championship team, taking some risk, taking some heat, and letting others watch him, which he deserves, in May and June still playing. Now time for the volumes. John Middlecoff, the former NFL scout, hosts two podcasts. Three and Out, that's his volume NFL podcast, and Go Low, his golf podcast, which is gaining steam. So I saw where Mike McGlinchey, uh, the new right tackle, former Niner, good tackle, not great, not Tristan Wirfs, uh, but a good tackle, good right tackle, uh, not uh, Lane Johnson. But um, I saw where McGlinchey said, okay, I changed my mind. I didn't like Russ. And now I watched his work ethic. I'm, I'm into Russ. And it is weird when he left. Brady leaves New England, 20, there, 20 years there. You would have thought he would have offended somebody, an executive, a sales guy, a player, a coach, a trainer. Everybody loved him. Tears flowing. Russ is there a third of the time, leaves Seattle and gets dogged by everybody, former teammates. <laughs> Do you think it's just as simple as people view him as inauthentic? 
I think that plays a part. I, I, I think they were a defensive-led team. I think the individual instances that happened in the Super Bowl, right, with Marshawn Lynch, everything that hovered around that, you know, I, I think without that, let's just say they win it. I, I don't know if it quite gets his – I mean, it got pretty negative. I, I, I do think people think he's kind of a weird guy. And I would say this, quarterbacks, I mean, you got a lot of theories on quarterbacks. You go back to junior high. They're usually kind of the lead dog. Everyone follows them. And then by the time you get to high school, they're getting girls, better looking. Maybe they get in, into college. They get good jobs. If they're not able to play professional football, they just feel like the leader of the crew. And that's not always fair because just because you play quarterback doesn't mean you have leadership traits. And I think Russell really always tried to embrace that. Right? He really wanted it, which I, I respect. But I don't think you can fake it if you don't have it all. And it's really hard, right? Like Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, those guys are kind of outliers. Patrick Mahomes, right? They got it all. Steph Curry, I mean, the character, the focus, the talent, everyone likes them. They want to hang with them. It's most, you know, Rodgers, all-time great player, but, you know, rubs people the wrong way sometimes. And, you know, has been very hit or miss over his career as a leader. I also think just any time that you play bad and the way that, I mean, it was Pete versus Russ, and I know where you stood. I was with you. I thought I'd probably bet on Russ. That how is Seattle going to win this trade? And it takes time, but I would say <laughs> they're definitely in the lead right now. When, when you factor in the picks, when you factor in the the cap relief, when you factor in how much success they had last year. I mean, Geno Smith just in a vacuum had a better season than Russell Wilson. How crazy is that when you really say that out loud? It, it, um, when Russ came out of the draft, that was in your scouting days or around that time when you were a scout in the NFL. Do you remember Russell Wilson's draft profile very well? Yeah, I mean, he was beloved. There was, I remember a story from one of our scouts that went through Wisconsin, right? And uh, that when they do the measuring, now these players don't even do half the things at a pro day, right? But he was he, back just 10 years ago, everyone did everything. And when he was getting measured, I I think, you know, he was a shade under, it started with 5'10 something. And then they're like, and they said 5'11 flat and every scout applauded because everyone in the room was rooting for him. And, and with the Eagles, I mean, it's been well documented over the years. Daniel Jeremiah loved him. Andy loved him. Howie loved him. And I think we, and I, I saw a, a recent article about how we talking about Jalen Hurts and looking back when they got cute with Russell Wilson. And when you like a guy at that position, why try to get an extra pick and get a guy in the third round when you can just take him in the second round and look what happened to the Eagles? Same type deal. Most people, including myself, thought Jalen Hurts in the second round. That's insane. You probably could have got the guy in the fourth. Well, I, I would say they don't regret doing it. And Russell. I mean, he he was really kind of a trendsetter, right? I, I remember being younger and Doug Flutie. There were just weren't short quarterbacks, especially mobile short quarterbacks. So he he was he, his time. Whether he's washed now, I will say this, and I've I've been to several uh, Seattle Niner games live. I think he's one of the most remarkable players I've ever seen in his heyday. You know, he had some Steve Young. It was just it was unreal. Now the guy we saw last year. We're about to find out, was it all Nate Hackett or is Sean, can Sean resurrect him? Or some, sometimes, I, I think we've kind of become numb, right? Everyone has a long 20-year shelf life. Well, some guys just peak out for 12 years. That's a, that's a pretty long career. That used to be the norm, right, Colin? Yeah, and I, I, when I watched Russell, um, the thing that struck me is that he was still very effective running. He just stopped doing it. Now, he would get into late-game situations when Nathaniel Hackett was the coach, and he would take off once or twice, yeah. and he was still very effective 
I think when he got the big money, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to theorize this. When he got the big money, and I'm talking, you know, his contract was Mahomes-ish, Peyton Manning-ish, right? When he got that yeah. big money. I think Russell said to himself, okay, this has been reserved for guys that sit in the pocket. I'm not going to be run around Russ anymore. I want to prove I can do it from the pocket. And I really felt that he wanted to, he wanted to sort of pivot to a older, in-the-pocket, can-win-at-the-line-of-scrimmage quarterback. When in truth, he's the same size mostly as Tua, who has acknowledged publicly there are times I can't see over the offensive lineman. So I think Russ yeah. got stubborn. I, I talked to somebody who had looked at film of Russ, and they're like, sometimes he looked stubborn. Is that he? there's much better angles, you know, slide in the pocket. Russ kind of felt like, this is my take. He kind of wanted to prove, okay, this is a contract that's been for the great pocket passers of all time. I'm not going to be wild, crazy, run around Russ. And then when Peyton got there, you notice he's lost weight this offseason. I think Peyton said, Russ, you know, if Drew Brees could have run, he would have run. It's an asset. Lean into it. Well, think about all the great running quarterbacks, probably post the 1970s. Yeah, I don't consider like John Elway, even though he's mobile or Aaron Rodgers, a running quarterback. I think Steve Young beat the drum the hardest. You have to win within the pocket. And he was a better athlete than even those guys, right? But he became a Hall of Famer and MVP ultimately with his arm. And I think historically would say that's how you have to transition because the Mike Vicks, we'll see with Lamar, you just take a pounding. Kyler Murray, it's hard when you are kind of this hybrid running back. Now, you could argue maybe the rules, a little safer to run. Guys are less you know, less likely to go Steve Atwater, John Lynch on your body down the field. I, I do think you can incorporate it if you do it right better than ever. Like Steve Young could not have done that. He would not have lasted as long as he did if he kept taking off like Russell did most of his career. I, I just think that and sometimes in life, listen, it's happened to probably most humans, not at the level in which Russell, because he's such a public figure, but you get humbled in life. You really got two options, right? You kind of go back to the drawing board because he's always been chasing greatness and trying to be like a top 15, 20 quarterback of all time and be a Hall of Fame guy, which he probably already is. But I just mean, right. is he just going to be a laughingstock moving forward? Or is, is he a prideful guy that we saw forever and that butted heads with some of those defensive guys and wanted to be a star? It's, he's definitely one of the most fascinating stories in the league when you factor in his, <laughs> you know, the coach edition, right? Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. 
All right, let's bring on the coach, Dave Wanstatt, former Bears head coach, Dolphins head coach, coordinator for the Super Bowl champion Cowboys, coach at Pitt, Miami Hurricanes, D.C. So, um, big year for Chicago. Um, I think Justin Fields, after two years, we know he's talented. He can move. He's got a whip for an arm, but a lot of mistakes, some not his. But there'll be a sense, Dave, that after this year, you either got to jettison, move off him, or lean into him. You've been to practice. What is your takeaway on what you've seen? Well, I think the first thing you said, a big year for Chicago. I think the people in Chicago, and I don't know if they'll get it, but it's what I'm preaching. I think this needs to be a reasonable improvement year for Justin Fields. You know, I mean, he he doesn't need to go out and be Aaron Rodgers, okay, when he was in Green Bay. I mean, he needs to improve 100%, but I think it needs to be reasonable. But I, when I look at Chicago, they have two number one picks next year. Everybody that they signed, free agency, plus the draft picks, there's not a player on their, on their roster that they signed that was older than 26. And I spent about an hour with Ryan Poole, the general manager, up for about a week ago, two weeks ago. And, you know, they, they have purposely built a young football team. And it's not talked about, but I think that, yes, Justin Fields needs to perform. I think it's the Philadelphia Eagles blueprint. You know, I mean, let's let's all, if, if we're all honest with ourselves, me included, uh, before last season, I wasn't sure if Jalen Hurts could be the guy. And the Eagles, right. I don't think the Eagles thought that either, Colin. And they're sitting there with two number one picks, and they're saying to themselves, I promise you, if he's not the guy, we're going up to the first pick and get a quarterback. The Bears, I, I don't think it'll happen. No one's talking about it, but they have the draft picks to do something if it doesn't work out. Yeah, the um, listen, I, I, I will say by getting Robert Tanyan, they now have two tight ends, Cole Komet, um, by getting I, I'm, I'm not a huge Chase Claypool fan, but I do love DJ Moore. I think Mooney is more than capable. I went and looked at the PFF grades for their offensive line. It's not as bad as, say, the New York Giants. Uh, or the Tennessee Titans last year. It's kind of middle of the pack. I think they found a left tackle last year in the draft. So my takeaway is I don't need Justin Fields to be a playoff quarterback, but I don't think if he struggles, we can blame the personnel, Dave. I, I think the Bears have given him good enough pieces to work with and win 10 games. Is that fair? That's, that's fair. And, and you know what? When I was up there, DJ Moore made three catches that – Bear receivers haven't made in three years. And the guy that was smiling the most and wasn't the head coach who wasn't the general manager, it was Justin Fields. You know, so they have really connected uh, from the standpoint of a confidence between quarterback and receiver. You mentioned Robert Tunyon. I think he might be this. You talk about a steal in free agency. They had, they, sure, if Claypool comes on, fantastic. If he doesn't, when, when I saw Robert Tunyon, they've, flexed him out like they used to do with Tony Gonzalez back in the day, and he can beat safeties one-on-one. -on -one. I mean, he is that type of athletic tight end, or you bring him in tight. So he that's a heck of a signing for the Bears. It truly is. So I, I think they feel real good about their passing game, and uh, you know, and they're going to be committed to running the ball. The whole key, and I was up for and Luke Getze, you know, the offensive coordinator, he worked for me at Pitt. I got a great report with him, and 
And he said, you know, we got to take the next step. We're going to take the next step. We got to be balanced. We got to be balanced in this. And so there, it's, uh, it's exciting, but I do agree. They do have the weapons. What's the typical Chicago Bear fan? Reasonable, not liquored up. If you said, would they be disappointed with nine and eight and Justin Fields showing improvement? Yes. Uh, yes, they, they probably would. But I, I think it's seven, eight win team. I think they're a seven, eight win team at, with Justin Fields showing improvement. I'm concerned about the Bears defense. I'm not concerned about their own. I mean, their, their defense coach, the leading guy soccer for him was Brisker, the strong safety last year. I never heard of that. <laughs> the guy that got the most sacks on your team is a strong safety. That's scary. No, they added, they're going to have, they got three free agents on the defensive line. They drafted two defensive linemen. The Stevenson kid, I'll tell you what, the guy they drafted in the third round out of Miami, okay, Tyreek Stevenson, this kid, when yep. I was at practice, he's going to be a starter at corner. And this is big. I was talking to head coach Matt Eberflus, and they run a scheme that's kind of like what we did at Dallas and kind of what like what Tony Dungy did at Tampa. It's a combination, too, with the point being that they have to get pressure with their four guys. They're always going to be one of the least blitzing defenses in the NFL. So the guy that's really important is that nickelback. He's the most important guy in their defense, and that's Kyler Gordon. Last year, Kyler Gordon, Bear fans know this, he played corner. Then they put him at nickel. He was, But now, guess what? He's full-time. You're the nickelback. Don't worry about anything else. We got Jalen Johnson on one side, and we got Tyreek Stevenson, who had – the day I was there, the guy had an interceptor for a touchdown, knocked down three balls. This guy from Miami, he's, he's going to be a big-time player. That was a great pick for them, and it's going to fit into their defense perfectly. But it's going to come down, can they get any pressure? Uh, you know, I, I don't see it. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. Well, the good news, Aaron Rodgers is out yep. of division. Dalvin Cook will be out of division. Uh, Detroit uh, moved off DeAndre Swift. Um, I still think they're Detroit. I think we're overvaluing them a little. They didn't make the playoffs. I think they win a couple more games. But it's a winnable division, Coach. Minnesota is not going to go 11-0 in one-score games. That's not happening again. So I don't think – I. I I mean, I, I, I just think this is the year for Chicago. I think they could be a 10-win team. Um, they've got to cut down on mistakes. And let's be honest, Justin moves. He's got to stay healthy. I worry about that a little bit. Yeah, I, I like them. I love them in the opener. You know, they, they open up with the Packers, Jordan Love, right here in Chicago. Wow, that's going to be an exciting – I mean, there's going to be a lot of pressure. I like the Bears there, but I, I kind of disagree with one thing. I'm picking Detroit. I like Detroit to win this division. I'll tell you what, they, you know, obviously they, they drafted Gibbs, the running back from Alabama that transferred from Georgia Tech, but they got David Walker. And David Walker is an angry David, I'm sorry, David Montgomery, who was with the Bears. And this kid's a heck of a football player. So you, they got the rookie Gibbs, the number one pick, and they got David Montgomery, the running back. They, that's a, they got the receivers back, you know, they got Marvin Jones. They, they got St. Uh, Brown coming back. They drafted this Laporta kid, and I know it was Iowa, but he yes, not just the number one tight end. He, he had the most receptions of any tight end in the Big Ten Conference. And this kid is a player now. 
And no one – I can't get anybody excited, but my guy for defensive player of the year in the Big Ten Conference for the last three years was Jack Campbell. And they drafted him in the first round, that big linebacker. No one's saying Jack Campbell. This guy gets in. He's 6'5". Look at his – anybody's out there it's questioning me, look at the guy's combine times. The guy makes interceptions. He makes sacks. He makes 100-plus tackles every year. He graduated like six years ago. I mean, the guy's broke. <laughs> this guy, I'm telling you, I'm excited. And then who, do, who does Detroit get? They get the branch, the safety from Alabama, who I thought was going to be a second-round pick, or some people had him higher. They get him in a third round. This guy's going to come in and play for them. He's a heck of a player. Talk to Saban about him. I think Detroit did really well in the draft. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm on their bandwagon. I really am. Every year I make picks, and my woe pick of this year in the NFL, the surprise pick, is I'm taking Miami to win the division. Uh, first, I think Vic Fangio right now is maybe the best defensive coordinator in the sport. They solved by bringing Jalen Ramsey over. They solved a corner issue. I don't love their offensive line, but if you look at Mike McDaniel's system, it's Kyle Shanahan's system. It has always been better day for quarterbacks in the second year of it. It's pretty complex. I I look at what Miami put together. I watched them play the Bills three times last year. They beat them once. They could have beaten them a second time with Tua, and Skylar Thompson played them close. And my takeaway was, I I don't feel right now that Buffalo has had a good last five or six months. Stephon Diggs is complaining. Um, they lost one of their safeties. I have questions about McDermott, his rigidity. Leslie Frazier just said, get me out of here because McDermott wouldn't let him call plays. There's a little bit of coaching tension. I If two is upright, I saw he put on about 15 pounds. You tell me your thoughts. I think Mike McDaniel in year two with that offense – I've watched Shanahan in Atlanta. I watched them in San Francisco. It's that second year, Dave. I, I think Miami's going to be a handful. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, we'll start with, uh, you know, Adam Ramsey, but the, the best addition they had is Vic Fangio. You know, now in Vic's defense, and I know pretty good, Vic's defense is not a blitzing defense. I mean, you know, when they were there with, with Brian Flores, it was pressure, pressure, pressure. This is not that. So, Having the extra corner, you know, having Ramsey teamed up with Howard, I mean, that's a great, great combination. Uh, but they're going to have to generate rush up front. To me, Bradley Chubb is the guy. He's This guy's got to show up. You know, last year they made the big trade for him. They got him there. And I think Vic will be the guy that will be able to push the right buttons to get a big year out of him. But they've got to generate – they're going to have to generate pass rush with the guys up front. That's one point. The other thing that I think has to happen is, you know, Mike McDaniels, you mentioned the Buffalo games, Colin. It really bothered me. They had Skylar Thompson, who you did that third-team quarterback in there, and they threw the ball twice as many times as they ran it. And I'm watching that game, and I remember when I got the Bears job, my, you know, and, and I was out, and the, the late Chuck Knoll had just stepped out from the Steelers, and we were playing golf. And he said, Dave, never forget why you, you – you're a head coach now. Never forget why you're a head coach. I said, what do you mean? He says, well, you got hired because of your defensive expertise. So I'm watching that Dolphin-Buffalo game, and I'm thinking to myself, Mike McDaniels was the run coordinator, run coordinator at San Francisco. And they aren't running the ball. 
If they run the football, I'm convinced they will. So the only question I have is, you know, they're going to have to be balanced. And when you got Tua and you got the firepower, you know, Tyreek Hill and, and all the Waddle and everybody, it's real tempting to want to get them the ball, big plays, big plays. But I tell you what, uh, this is uh, Mike. If he wants to win big, he's going to have to be balanced, and he's going to have to continue running the football. Uh, I, I don't. He's going to show me that he'll do that. I, I'm not convinced he wants to do it. Well, it's interesting. Kyle Shanahan has Debo and George Kittle and Brandon Ayuk and Christian McCaffrey, and he commits to the run despite oh. how, having those options. I mean, when I think of the Niners, I think of a physical run game. Yep. I don't even think of passing. No, 100%. <laughs> and, you know, the other thing, with, too, with the Tua, you mentioned Tua, and it, I'm not going to blitz him. I'm not going to take a chance of trying to cover Tyreek Hill one-on-one. But I'll tell you what, what's going to happen. Tua, in his mind, if you went through the concussion stuff that he went through, or anybody did, that's going to be on your mind, and they're going to be saying, get the ball out quick, right? Don't take any chances. They don't run up. He's not running quarterback read stuff. So put that aside. That's not going to happen. But get the ball out quick. He's going to see man press coverage. I would play him man, and I would lock up those receivers and knowing that the ball is going to come out quick. And so he's going to, and you know, he makes good decisions, makes good decisions. We're going to find out how accurate he is. He's going to have to be real accurate this year because I don't think he's going to get very many wide open, easy throws. Well, the other thing with Tua is because his injuries are concussion based, yep. that you can't bring him back with another concussion for four to six weeks. So to your point, I think McDaniel realizes that they'll run it more and it'll be a lot of a lot of what Brady ran. Just get the ball out. Yep. Garoppolo, by the way, 1001, 1002, let it rip. Yep. And, and I also think McDaniels knows his weakness is his offensive front in a division with Buffalo's pass rush, the Jets pass rush and Belichick's defensive front. So I, I do think there's a way Miami will play. Run it, quick passing, protect Tua. Because he goes down. You know, they brought Mike White in for the Jets for a reason. Yeah, so in their minds, they probably got a good backup, but it's not Tua. So it'll be interesting to see if my, if McDaniels can do that. So um, you're from Pittsburgh, coached the Panthers for years. You've got a lot of friends there still. Uh, I went and the other day I went and and sort of burrowed down on the Steelers. There's a couple of things that are interesting. Number one is they win over the last three years when T.J. Watt plays. They win 75% of their games. And although he was banged up last year, in his history, he doesn't get hurt. And one of the reasons I lean Steelers over Baltimore for the wild card spot is if you take their eight best players, and I include Najee Harris, their tight end, uh, Kenny Pickett, uh, Minka Fitzpatrick, I go uh, Cam Hayward. I go down the line. None of them have an injury history. And virtually all of the Ravens best players, except tight end Mark Andrews, do have a playoff history. And I don't know if Tomlin is more measured at practice, but the Ravens have been banged up for four years in a row. And the Steelers are rarely hurt. And I went back and I looked at Pittsburgh's last six games last year. I didn't from beginning to end, watch all of them, Dave, because the AFC has so many more compelling teams. At the end of last year, 
Kenny Pickett was pretty good. The defense was great. Kenny Pickett was pretty good. Nope. What are you hearing? Well, I know this for a fact. Last year at this time going into training camp, he was getting the third team work reps. I mean, it was Mitch Trubisky, it was uh, Mason Rudolph, and it was Kenny Pickett. So his practice time was a third. And, you know, I don't think – I think they went into that thing. Mike Tomlin said that Mitch Trubisky is a starter, which he did. And so I, I, I look at that and say, you know, that's a lot of time for a rookie not to be getting the reps that he needs. And then the guy that's probably going to be his top receiver – and then what's his name got hurt? Uh, Deontay Johnson was hurt, okay? Uh, Pickens, George Pickens, a second-round pick out of Tennessee, he's a star. This guy – he it took him they tell me it took him two or three you know a couple weeks into the season before he started getting a feel for the thing I mean they were hoping that Claypool they were hoping that Chase Claypool was the guy you got to remember Chase Claypool went from their number one receiver to two to three and so all of a sudden now all of a sudden you're seeing Pickens getting more reps and Deontay Johnson they're getting him moved and then they find out how good Fryer moved you mentioned him the tight end from Penn yeah. State. Yeah. This kid is a player. He's got phenomenal hands. Yeah. It wasn't until about that halfway through the season where Pickett's getting enough reps. Pickens is picking up the offense. And, and now they're realizing, hey, we got a tight end too. So I, I think uh, I like Pittsburgh. I mean, their offense, their stars, the guys we're talking about are all like 25 years or younger, right? So, I mean, yeah. uh, the, the, the arrow is definitely up. For that offense. Yeah, I mean, it's um, – did you like Kenny Pickett out of college? I, I've always said he feels very B-plus at everything. He's got a good enough arm, good enough size, good enough mobility. Um, I, I don't th I don't see a lot of special, but I don't see a lot of um, – Dave, I don't see any holes. I don't, I don't see anything that he, – he can move left. He throws right. He's mobile. He can take a hit. My takeaway is – you know, there's a little bit of a C.J. Stroud where I'm like, he looks good enough at everything, maybe great at nothing. What did you hear from your pit people about Kenny coming out? I was back there at Pitt when they were practicing and and sitting in there and talking to Pat Narduzzi, the head coach and the offensive coach, and all the intangible things that you mentioned, and then put a layer of toughness. This guy is a street tough kid, and this kid is a competitor. And I think that, uh, you know, you talked about he's got good enough arm strength. He understands the game. He gets the big picture on and on and on. But now you put in that toughness and those those intangible things. They're real. They are real. And, uh, you know, they share the facility back there. Pitt and the Steelers share facilities. So they're in the same building where they're eating and they're on the practice field. One's leaving the other ones. No one had better exposure to Kenny Pickett for his whole career than Mike Tomlin and the Steelers and Kevin Colbert at that time and the whole Steel organization. So they, they know what they're getting, and, they're, and I know they are excited. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Well, he's my favorite East Coast voice, Ian O'Connor, a four-time New York Times bestselling author, the book on Coach K, Derek Jeter, Belichick, three for three, all fantastic, New York Daily News, now the New York Post, USA Today, ESPN, uh, known him, loved him for years. He is now joining us, and we got a lot to talk about. So I um, I remember when I lived in Connecticut, you're really in the in the belly of the beast, Red Sox, Yankees, Mets, Phillies. It's just sports talk is driven by it. Out West, it is not. It's more of an NBA, NFL discussion. But um, the intensity and the passion is redeemable. And I missed so much not hearing sports talk radio in New York after the Mets late inning meltdown <laughs> against the Phillies. I, I watched it. I just happened to stumble on it. Good hell, Ian, that is as hits batsman, uh, walks, one hit, multiple runs. What Was that the tipping point? Is Buck Showalter in trouble after that moment? Uh, I don't know if it's a tipping point, Colin, because it feels like I live with a fatalistic Mets fan. My wife's been a diehard Mets fan for 45, 50 years, basically. And so it feels like they they just run into each other and I can't differentiate one from, from the other. And I don't think it's the tipping point as far as Showalter is concerned, because last year he won 101 games. That's the second most victories in the history of the New York Mets franchise. Davey Johnson won 108 in 1986 and nobody's done better than Showalter did in year one. So I don't think you can fire him in the middle of year two. I really don't. And so I think he deserves the rest of the season, however it unfolds, and it's getting uglier by the hour. And then have the conversation in the offseason. Is he worthy of year three? But I think to whack him in the middle of 02 would be doing him a, a real injustice because just based on his track record, he did so much good last year that I think actually you could make a case. I remember the uh, general manager of the Mets, Steve Phillips, did this in 1999. The Mets were unraveling. And one night he decided, I'm going to fire all of Bobby Valentine's coaches. And the Mets went on an absolute tear, made the playoffs, and almost made the World Series that year. You could argue it makes sense to fire a coach right now. Or maybe they should have done it last week. And, and try to ignite the team that way, keeping Showalter and the GM, Billy Epler, in place at least for now. I think that made that makes more sense in firing Showalter. You know, um, they're not hitting. They're not getting the ball in play. If if Pete Alonso is not healthy, they don't have any power. It's pretty simple. They're, they're not doing anything particularly well. But I would argue if you look at the Verlanders and the Scherzers, they were built for late season baseball. They almost assumed they would be good late in the year. They built this team, you know, for July, uh, you know, I would say August 15th on to be ready to go. So... You know, when I when I look, I always feel you can buy relevance. It's very difficult to buy wins. Uh, Lindor's not playing well. Uh, they're not hitting. I was thinking about this before the interview today. I can't remember the last 
because the Mets team last year really struggled to put together runs and rallies. It wasn't a great hitting team. It lacked power. When is the last, maybe it's just, again, you would know this. When's the last Mets team that was an offensive power? That's a good question. And I'm going back to 2000. They're in the World Series against the Yankees. And and they've had a few teams here and there that I would put in that category, at least close to it. Certainly not this one. And you're right. Lindor is not a $341 million player, though he's been playing better lately. And, and that's part of the problem. Now, Steve Cohen just had a press conference. I'm not sure why he called that press conference because he didn't really <laughs> say a whole hell of a lot. Other than he's fortunate to have found Billy Epler as general manager, yet I'm still looking for a president of baseball operations to effectively replace him. So I'm not sure how that makes much sense. A lot of people in baseball believe David Stearns of the Milwaukee Brewers will be the guy in the offseason when he's finally a free agent. I think Steve Cohen's been trying to hire him for a couple of years. And then you go from there, but it's starting pitching. The Mets, who used to be known for starting pitching, that's really what's failed them, Colin, this year. And it's been a domino effect from that point. It's Verlander. He gives you five innings. He throws 100 pitches. He's got to come out. Now you have to go to the middle relief. That's been a real problem on this team, trying to get to the good back of the bullpen arms. And even, even last night with Hartwig coming in the game, a tied game, and right away you're, you're trailing, that's, that's been the problem. It's Senga, Verlander, and other pitchers, the starting pitchers, not giving you any length. And then you're using the worst players on your team as a bridge, and it's a very wobbly one at that. And, and that's really been a, a big part of why the Mets are where they are. You know, I, I, I think one of the things I learned when I lived back out east, and I actually miss it, is the intensity of the media and the intensity of the pressure. Uh, for all the money the Mets have now and for all the money the Yankees have had for years, I couldn't tell you the last time the Yankees drafted and developed an ace. Um, they just they went and, and purchased pitching. And I understand that you could say they have great revenue, but so do the Braves and they do it. So do the Dodgers and they do it. Braves have no problem with that. It's not just a revenue issue. Is, is it possible that, and I saw this with the Brooklyn Nets, the downside to New York is it's expensive to live there. It's expensive to travel. You need to win. People aren't going to spend money on those tickets when there's two NFL teams, two baseball teams, two NBA. That some of what has happened to New York baseball is just a pressure cooker in the reality of this baseball-centric market. It puts enormous pressure on players. Well, certainly that's part of it, and particularly when baseball is the ultimate, like golf, the ultimate game of failure. And on top of that, the 24-7 scrutiny in the social media age, New York being the biggest, loudest market is, is certainly in there uh, among the reasons that you could rank at, at the top of the list as, as to why the Mets in particular are unraveling this season. I think the Yankees, with that third wild card, are going to make the playoffs every year. And that third wild card and, and with the Mets, too, should keep you – if you're spending X amount of dollars, you should be in the tournament. And in baseball, as you know, we saw last year with the Phillies, and, of course, they, they made a change in the middle of the season firing Girardi. You can – once you get in, anything can happen, particularly in baseball. It's like – and I had this conversation with Alex Rodriguez years ago and, and to some extent with, with Aaron Judge. In baseball – or in basketball, you give LeBron James in his prime the ball every time up the floor in, in a big spot. You can't send Aaron Judge or A-Rod to the plate every time in the ninth inning in a big spot in October. That's not the way baseball works. So it, there's a lot on the individual superstar in baseball, like a Lindor is not really a superstar. He's not playing like one. 
or any of these guys to try to carry a team because they can only do so much. It's the nature of that sport. So I think there's a lot of pressure on the stars in baseball because they can't impact winning and losing like a quarterback in football or a two guard in the NBA. New York magnifies that in baseball. And I, I think, again, going back uh, to the Mets where they are right now is that they didn't develop the pitcher. They did develop the Grom left, of course, and, and Matt Harvey was was good for a while. They developed him. And and right now they don't have a top pitching prospect. So Cohen realized that when he bought the team. So I'm going uh, going to go out and spend a ton of money on the Max Scherzers and Justin Verlanders and try to do it that way. The problem is it leaves you with a $445 million bill at the end of the season that could be a sub-500 season. You know, you, you tweeted something the other day about uh, Otani um, and, and the Mets. And it's kind of understood the Dodgers this offseason pulled back. They let Cody Bellinger go. Uh, Kershaw's contract was quick. Uh, Justin Turner, they pulled back on revenue. And the feeling was they were saving another $75 million for the Otani deal, a remarkable player. But the Angels are literally the least talked about franchise in Southern California outside of the hockey teams. So the Dodgers, there's a real sense that Otani and the Dodgers are working behind the scenes now, though the Angels have said we'd never trade for him. I'm not sure or trade him. I'm not sure why. If I could get if I could get something for Otani knowing he's leaving. So there's a sense in Southern California he'll be a Dodger. They certainly have the revenue streams. They outdraw, I think, the second place Yankees by seven thousand people per game. I mean, the Dodgers are an enormously popular franchise like the Yankees in New York. It's a it's an ATM machine. Boston doesn't feel like they can compete financially. John Carlos Stanton, it's not a miss. But it's not worth what they paid for. Garrett Cole's not a miss, but it doesn't feel like it's been a hit. Scherzer, not a hit. Would the Mets or the Yankees be willing to spend the most money ever on a baseball star? Would they? I think the Mets will and the Yankees will not be willing to do that. I think Garrett Cole, I'd push back a little bit on that. I think he's had a couple of shaky postseason moments, but he's... I think he's lived up to the terms of, of his contract. And so I think Steve Cohen now, this is more reason for him to go out and spend God knows what, $650 million to try to outbid the Dodgers for Otani. I, I, this is going to be fascinating to watch because the Mets are going to miss the playoffs. They're eight and a half games behind the third wildcard spot, which is really hard to believe at $445 million when you include the revenue luxury taxes that Steve Cohen is paying. So is he going to double down when his farm system is not producing uh, great talent right now, in, at least uh, on the pitching front? And we'll see about Alvarez, who I think will be a really good catcher for the next uh, dozen years for the Mets. Beatty, we'll see. But I, I do think Steve Cohen now has more reason to go all in on Otani and try to outbid the Dodgers and just spend them into oblivion. He's a guy who's worth $18 billion or close to it. So I, I, that is going to be a death match in the offseason between the Dodgers and the Mets. I think the Dodgers will win it. They're, they're certainly the leader in the clubhouse, but I think Steve Cohen is going to make them really sweat on that one and spend a lot more money than they really want to spend. All right, pivot to football. Um, the early season schedule is rough for the Jets. 
Aaron's never played behind a mediocre offensive line. One of the things New England and the Packers have done is establish consistent top 10 lines without drafting offensive linemen in the first round. So, I mean, he's had pro bowlers all over the O-line. So this O-line is Elijah Vera Tucker, major questions at both tackles, I believe a rookie center, um, not a ton of depth. I think it's a little bit of an undoing for this is going to be first defensive coach for Aaron Rodgers, first suboptimal O-line, really tough division, and a harsh city that's not terribly forgiving. What is a real a realistic expectation for the Jets nation, for the people you talk to, when you write a column, the reaction, it's easy for me to just say, I mean, I, I think it's a nine-win team. The division's probably the best in football. What say you and a New Yorker who's a Jets fan? What is realistic that will satisfy them at year end, take a Super Bowl out? I'll say 10 and 7, make the wild card, finish second behind Buffalo, and win a wild card round game and then lose in the divisional round at Kansas City, at Cincinnati, get whacked in that second playoff game. But I think that's the, the problem is look at that schedule. I mean, the first 10 games, they could be three and seven and, and not be playing that poorly. <laughs> so they're playing both Super Bowl teams, right? Philly and, and Kansas City. They're in that division. They're starting against Buffalo, but at home. So that, that's a game they, they really almost have to win. If you look at the first 10 games. So I, I think the formula for success, at least the way I define it, is go four and six in those first 10 games and then. There, there are winnable games. Those final seven, they can go maybe five and two, yes. six and one, sneak into the playoffs as a wild card, win a game, and then face the end in the division around at Kansas City. So I think that's a successful season. And then add to enter year two of Aaron Rodgers as one of the Super Bowl favorites to get out of the AFC. I think that yeah. is at least somewhat realistic. But maybe too real, uh, too optimistic, uh, perhaps, in talking to some Jets fans who are used to. I always say this. They hate when I say it. The Jets have not reached the Super Bowl, never mind win one, since man stepped on the moon. That was a long time ago. So uh, they're used to, they're wired to, to, to feel the worst is going to happen. But I, I, I'm going to be pretty optimistic. and I'll say 10 and 7 and make the playoffs. Yeah, it, it'll be really interesting because the, the – uh, the Packers furnished him with very good protection and two offensive coaches. Say what you will about Mike McCarthy. There is, we're seeing this in New England with Belichick, who's virtually tone deaf to offense, made a DC the OC, can't draft skill players to save his life. Even the best defensive coaches, they really, they don't talk the same language. So this is Aaron's and, and Nathaniel Hackett's coming off a bruising, ugly performance in Denver. So I, I do feel the pressure is really on Aaron to run the offense. And he's okay at that, but he, he can also be a little aloof and a little disengaged at times. Here's the thing that I've noticed about Aaron that... Um, I don't think he's a bad guy. He can be a little bit of a finger pointer, a little passive aggressive. When things go south, New York is going to force you to answer tough questions. A Green Bay Midwestern media, Ian, is just not the same. Like like you drive. I can remember driving to work when I was at ESPN and I would turn on you know, like New York radio and it would set the tone for the discussion of the week. Like it's a tone setter. And I think you can kind of roll your eyes if you're Aaron Rodgers at the small market 
you know, Green Bay, relax. You go relax to New Yorkers. <laughs> that's not going to play. Like they don't relax. <laughs> what they're known for is intensity. How do you think the Aaron media thing will play out? Well, so far, it's been a, a really good marriage. I think he came in wanting to make the best possible impression on the New York market, the fans and the media. I think the New York media thing is a little bit of a myth since I've been in it for 37 years in that. I think there's just more of us. We probably judge it a little more harshly than every other market outside of Philly and Boston. But I, I don't think the New York media is unfair. It, it's large and it's tough, but not unfair. So he's got an opportunity here. I think if he ever won a championship, what would that do for his legacy? I mean, you have Tom Brady sitting there on the top of the mountain with seven rings and Aaron's at one. If you want to close that legacy gap to win a Super Bowl for the New York Jets would go a long way towards doing that. And so I think Rodgers, he may have been disengaged in Green Bay, particularly at the end. He does. He has occasionally pointed fingers in a passive aggressive way. But uh, he hasn't been that figure so far in New York at all. I, I went out to all the open OTAs and by all accounts, talking to players, coaches, executives, he has been fully engaged in meeting rooms and practices and just watching him. He's constantly talking to receivers, the tight ends, offensive linemen. Hey, do this. Let's talk about that cut you just made coming out of your route. I kind of like you to do it this way. There's been a ton of that. So, so far, it's early, obviously. We haven't started training camp yet. He has been a very, very good leader on and off the field by all accounts. Let's see if it holds up and let's see how that translates on the field in September when they, when they play for real. But as much as people have talked about what an all-time great quarterback can do for this hapless franchise, I think there's a lot the New York Jets can do for Aaron Rodgers. Like I just said, if he somehow can win one in the two or three years that he plays here in New York and gets ring number two, it's going to feel like he won four rings. It's almost like what Messier did coming to New York in 94, even though he had won five in Edmonton, he wins a cup, ends a, what, a 50, 54 year drought. And the one cup people talk about when they talk about his legacy is the one he won for the Rangers in New York. And, and he'll tell you that, too. So I think that's the kind of opportunity that Rodgers has. Let's see how it plays out. I, I, I want to get a Knicks discussion in because the free agent stuff today, when this airs on Friday, the free agent opens up. I've said this. I believe Jalen Brunson is the perfect New York Knicks star. So when I lived in Connecticut and I still have friends in New York, um, the Knicks were actually the most popular team. Here's why. Because my baseball friends were split and my NFL fans were split. Giants, Jets, Yankees, Mets. Everybody had the Knicks as their favorite New York team or second. Like some people would be big Yankee fans. But the Knicks, the Nets were irrelevant. The Knicks, every friend I had in the Northeast loved the Knicks. It's an incredible baseball market. It reminds me of Golden State. I grew up with the Rick Barry, um, Al Adels, the coach, Clifford Ray, Jeff Mullen, Keith Wilkes teams. And then they were bad forever. And people forgot how great the Bay Area is as a basketball city. When I lived out east, I couldn't believe the Knicks would sell out. They were poorly owned, poorly run, not likable, couldn't get tickets. And I said... A couple months ago, I said, Jalen Brunson is literally like Phil Simms. He's becoming a star in New York, and 
I don't know how great he is. That guy fits that city. Like Villanova, late rounder, tough, accountable, almost better in big spots. Like better in the fourth and the first quarter. Better against the Heat than he would be against the Magic. Um, they have Julius Randle. Uh, there's Josh Hart. There's R.J. Barrett. To you, Randall feels like an expensive two. He's probably more of a three. Do you think there is a deal around Brunson that feels like, because Brunson's going to need another high-end player. Is there something, is it a Zion? Be a fortune teller here. What do you think feels right? I, I wrote this a while back. I always thought Carl Anthony Towns would end up a Nick. Grew up in New Jersey, ties with Leon Rose, who's running the Knicks now as his former client. And obviously it didn't work well with Tibbs the first time around in, in Minnesota. They clashed. And I think part of that was Jimmy Butler. But I think that I know for a fact that uh, Tom Thibodeau would be more than willing to coach Carl Anthony Towns again. Now, the question is, how much better do you think Cat is than Julius Randle? Is there a significant difference between those two players? I think he's better than Randall. And Randall, Colin, if you look at it, and his two playoff opportunities with the Knicks, hasn't played that well. Now, he did restore most of his value this year after last year's near disaster, but he played at a really high level in the regular season this year. And I think he does have value around the league to some extent. So I think you could package him with the Knicks have a lot of draft assets and some, some good emerging young players to get a Carl Anthony Towns if you – feel like now I do believe now that I didn't think this when they got Jalen Brunson. I think you can win a championship with Jalen Brunson as your second best player. Yeah. I did not think that when they signed him. I don't know how you felt. I I just Same. can't get over how impressed I am with him and everything you said I I agree with about Brunson on and off the court. Brunson, you see here's the problem with the Knicks. To me, it's almost an RJ Barrett problem. RJ Barrett is a good player. And he's going to be a good player for a long time. But I don't think he'll ever be a great player. And the problem is when you're 6'6 in the NBA, in today's NBA, and he's a good athlete, but he's not explosive athletically. And he's not a good outside shooter, not a good shooter from three. So I think when you're 6'6 in the NBA to be great or at least very good, you have to be one of those things. And so he represents the franchise the right way. He's a hard worker. He's a good player. And I'm just not sure he's ever going to be more than that. So if he's positioned to be your third star, I'm not sure that's good enough. So uh, if you, yes, should they try to be in on Zion Williamson? Absolutely. I think Zion always wanted to play for the Knicks. And you could bring him in here and say, just get in shape and you can take New York away from the two Aarons, Judge and Rogers. This city will be yours. Because I was there in the 90s when the Knicks were good, knocking on the door and never won a title. They were bigger than the Yankees who were winning titles. Yep. They were both on the MSG network. The Knicks were the number one property on that network. So it can happen. Zion Williamson, you come to New York, which is where you wanted to be coming out of Duke, get in shape, play 70 out of 82 games, and you can take this city away from the two Aarons. I, I think that's that's certainly possible. Yeah, I think Carl Anthony Towns is more offensively skilled 
um, than Julius Randle. He doesn't give you the consistent effort. Julius is one of those players that plays hard every night, and that is so important in the regular season. But when everybody plays hard in the playoffs, his dominance is reduced, and he becomes a really solid player. He, mm-hmm. he really is an effort guy. He just outworks people and ends up with 23 points in the regular season. So I think he's a – and he's, he's pretty expensive. I like Julius Randle. I feel like the league sort of left him. Like, he gives you a bucket, not a three. And I feel like the Lakers kind of bailed on him. And I had a conversation with a Laker executive once. I'm like, you know, nobody plays harder. Nobody shows up every night. He just needs to be your three, not your two or your one. So I'm with you. I think if they get a one, Jalen Brunson's a two. I think they'll move R.J. Barrett. I'm with you. There's not really a there there. Like, there's a lot of guys. In my years of being a sportscaster, there are guys in the NBA I mean, Andrew Wiggins was this in Minnesota. You got 24 a night. You didn't remember a bucket. You just didn't. I mean, it's just like, how did he score? There was a player, um, Sharif Abdul Rahim. Do you remember him, the forward? I do. Yeah, sure. 24 a night. I don't remember any of the points. Like, And then there's guys like Julius Randle or Brunson. You remember all of them. They're very impactful. So I think Carl Anthony Towns works. And they also, the Knicks also have some big athletic guys like Obi Toppin. They're not great players. But they certainly can be excellent rotational players in a place like Minnesota. They've got some size and athleticism and youth. Yeah, Mitchell Robinson is a good rim protector, yeah. although he might have to go in a deal if you're getting uh, cat. Yeah. Uh, but I also think if you look at Minnesota, what's Anthony Edwards is still 21 years old. The guy's averaging 25 points a game at age 21. You got Gobert there. I think Julius Randle is a better fit with Gobert than Carl Anthony Towns is. So you, you try to look at it. What's realistic? And it's not realistic to get certain players in the NBA to New York. But I think now that they've established some credibility there and Dolan isn't talked about as much as he was years ago, I think Cat is a big name that is realistic for a lot of reasons that we've, we've talked about here. Now, whether or not he's a guy who can get you to the NBA finals with Brunson, I don't know. You might have to upgrade Barrett uh, alongside those two to, to get to that point. But I think it's a start. volume infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 infinity qx80 live march 20th from the edge at hudson yards in new york city featuring a performance by john batiste the all-new 2025 infinity qx80 is an suv designed to help every passenger feel just right be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary.